This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. The presumed uh, vehicle of O.J. Simpson is still traveling very slowly northbound along the 5 freeway. A big call to make. CNN announces that we call Florida in the Al Gore column. This is a state both campaigns has crashed right into the World Trade Center. You can see the smoke and the flames coming out of the electoral votes. More than 270, more than enough to become the 44th president of the United States. He will be the first African-American president the Capitol building uh, in 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 quite an incredible act that I I think you could revolt is not as a word that, you know, can can be. Cable news outlets have played a central role in covering some of the biggest stories in America. And think about how many times over the years cable news didn't just cover the story, but became part of the story. Think O.J. Simpson, the Tea Party movement, the rise of Donald Trump. Over the last 10 years, there's been nearly a 30% drop in cable subscriptions across America. That's according to the National Cable and Telecommunications Association. CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, of course, are among the cable TV networks struggling to retain viewership. So how did cable news get to where it is now? And how could it influence the 24 presidential campaign? We get to all those questions and a lot more right after this break. And we also hear your thoughts on cable TV. I'm Todd Zwillick with Vice News in for Jen White. You're listening to the 1A podcast where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with the state of cable news in just a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Let's get back to the conversation and welcome our guests. Joining us from New Jersey is Brian Stelter. He's a special correspondent for Vanity Fair, a media critic, and host of the podcast Inside the Hive. Brian spent nearly a decade hosting the show Reliable Sources on CNN, where he was their chief media correspondent. He also has a new book coming out this November about Fox News and the Dominion voting lawsuit. Also with us and joining from Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana, is Catherine Kramer Brownell. She's the author of the book 24-7 Politics, Cable Television, and the Fragmenting of America from Watergate to Fox News. Thank you both for being here. Cable TV news is in a precarious moment right now. Despite the declining numbers of cable subscribers, more than 70 million American households still have active subscriptions. And a lot of these families are glued to their cable boxes, watching coverage, are glued to their cable boxes, watching coverage of the 2024 presidential election. So how would each of you describe the current moment for this industry? Well, I think it's a culmination of decades in which cable news has become 
more part of American political life and political institutions. And even though its viewership on a daily basis has started to decline, and we've seen that, it is still very much about how campaigns think of uh, communicating. They go on CNN. They uh, the, the GOP debates are on Fox News. And so even though it certainly is in a precarious moment, it still does have political clout because it's been so integrated into communication strategies by elected officials as they're trying to win office and as they're trying to govern. Brian Stelter, what's driving the industry right now? Ratings, obviously, I get that. But but, but below that, what's animating cable news um, as networks compete for smaller and smaller audience but have a bigger and bigger voice in politics? Well, I think if I had to give a one-word answer, I would say what's animating cable news is Trump. Uh, We are still in this Trump era, even though President Biden is in office. Hmm. Trump's attempt to regain power after trying to do so in potentially illegal ways in 2020, that is the driving story across cable news, um, more so on MSNBC and CNN than on Fox. Um, You know, there's a very complicated relationship between Trump and Fox, and we know Trump's going to skip the Fox debate tomorrow night. But the fact that Fox News has not just the first GOP debate, but also on Fox Business next month, the second GOP debate. That gets to your point about cable still drives what we might call a national conversation about politics. There is still a leadership role that these channels play uh, for better and for worse. So, you know, I would say what's driving, you know, what's animating this this industry is Trump in in all the various ways, right? Fear of Trump, enthusiasm for Trump, um, shock that he is still the dominant player in the GOP. All of that, I think, is still animating cable news. And in some ways, that means, you know, cable's kind of stuck where it was almost a decade ago. And that can be both beneficial, you know, in some ways, but also harmful in other ways, because all of these channels have to figure out ways to reach consumers in new ways, in digital fashions, you know, the, the way that this program does right now. That is the, the, that, that's what keeps executives up at night. But in terms of the editorial, I would say Trump is the driving force. We're going to be talking a lot more about Trump as the driving force and, and what it means for the health of our democracy and whether cable news channels are, have learned any lessons from the rise of Trump, whether they enabled it for good or for ill. Um, For good, I guess, if you're Fox News driving viewers for ill for people who demand real information. Uh, We're going to talk a lot more about that. Um, Brian, there's a a tension there. Um, There's an inconsistency, though. Trump, as you say, is driving viewership. um, But viewership is way, way down. So if they're – who are they trying to reach? Is it the case that cable news has – you know, we hear about this older and older audience who – vote and are still politically influential, it's still worth their time to, to, to keep broadcasting to this dwindling audience? The average viewer of CNN, MSNBC, Fox is is 60 and above 60. Uh, now that, of course, they do draw in, the channels do draw in 30 and 40 and 50 year olds, but the average viewer is 60, 70, 80 years old. So yes, it is very much a graying audience and that is a business challenge uh, for these channels. It's also a relevancy challenge for these channels. Um, you know, I, I would suggest a, a, the, think about the ratings in the following way. It's almost like cable news and television news, and to some degree the news media exists in two different modes. One mode is breaking news, emergencies, actually breaking news. That might happen 30 days a year, 50 days a year, maybe less. On those days, cable news ratings are still strong, very strong, and, and I, would, I would argue that the role of cable news is very well defined on those days. But the rest of the time, the average day of the year, 
that's where the challenge really exists. That's where the rating softness is happening. And of course, that softness is happening in part because of cord cutting. Uh, more and more Americans not having cable bundles, choosing to stream Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus instead. So all of those pressures, uh, I think, are having an impact. But I would just make the case as someone who lived in cable news for almost a decade, the breaking news role, that's a really crucial role. Uh, when, when the capital's mm. invaded, you need CNN, MSNBC, and Fox to be strong. And I would argue that they are uh, quite strong. Um, and I would argue, you know, well, <laughs> then we get into the differences between the channels and that's a different conversation. Yeah. But the challenge of the rest of the time, what do you do the rest of the time? Well, Fox yells at you and tells you to be afraid of the wrong things. Uh, and, and so there's a tension there, I think, that it causes harm. Coming up, we're going to talk about how cable news helped get us to this moment of polarized post-fact politics and whether it's learning to do things better. We'll be back in just a moment. Drake and Kendrick Lamar have been lobbing some serious accusations at each other. You've probably heard the diss tracks and wondered, what's just a low blow and what's actually criminal? I'm Brittany Luce, host of It's Been a Minute from NPR, and I'm getting into what's art and what's worthy of criminal investigation and who those accusations hurt the most on It's Been a Minute from NPR. What's happening on NPR podcasts? More neighborhoods and more perspectives. The more of the world that you hear, the more you hear the world as it really is. NPR podcasts. More voices. All ears. Find NPR wherever you get your podcasts. For the seventh year on the Code Switch podcast, conversations about race and identity go way beyond the day's headlines. Because we know what's part of every person is part of every story. We're bringing that perspective with new episodes every week. Listen on the Code Switch podcast from NPR. Let's get back to the conversation now. When cable TV was in its infancy, one journalist already feared the impact it could have on our democracy. Here's the legendary radio broadcaster Edward R. Murrow speaking at the Radio Television News Directors Association back in 1958. I have decided to express my concern about what I believe to be happening to radio and television. These instruments have been good to me beyond my due. There exist in my mind no reasonable grounds for any kind of personal complaint. But I am seized with an abiding fear regarding what these two instruments are doing to our society, our culture, and our heritage. Prescient concerns from Edward R. Murrow there. Well, cable news doesn't just report the news lately. It makes the news. So let's get into it. Brian Stelter, you have a book coming out on Fox News and the Dominion lawsuit. We all know about that recent $787 million settlement uh, that Fox had to pay after being sued by Dominion voting systems for defamation. Um, This all points back ultimately to Donald Trump's claims for years that 2020 was stolen. But from where you sit, what was this story really about, the, the interaction with Fox News and, and what Fox was telling its audience? Mm. Uh, Rupert Murdoch was asked under oath during his deposition with the Dominion attorneys, does Fox have a responsibility to tell the truth even when its viewers don't want to hear it? And Rupert's answer was yes. Yes, we have a responsibility. Yes, we must tell the truth when it hurts. So imagine if the network actually lived up to that responsibility. You know, the, the big lie of 2020 the, 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 that caused Dominion to sue and sue for defamation and, and win so much money, that's, you know, the best example we've seen in recent history of people being told what they want to hear and not what is actually true. Uh, and of course, you know, we see the consequences to this day because Donald Trump's now new campaign to run for president is predicated on the election being stolen before. Um, 
So I think that, that you know, when you talk about people disliking cable news, being tired, not liking what they're seeing, I actually think they're reacting mostly to this sense of political exhaustion, hmm. this sense of exhaustion in the country, this sense of so many people feeling politically homeless, not being represented by the people in charge. And so much of that comes down to the line, to the line that's come out of Trump and his allies, the MAGA media and, and this movement. Um, there's an exhaustion, I think, that comes from that. And actually is affecting cable news as well as the rest of the news media. Kenneth emailed us, almost to the point here, listeners to right-wing radio and Fox propaganda and readers of right-wing websites have been bombarded with extreme lies. They've been exposed to endless defamation, disparagement, wrongful contempt toward every perceived opponent. And that, for me, goes to sort of the the emotional salience that's often on cable news. But James emailed to say, it's time to quit calling outlets like Fox News and MSNBC news outlets at all. These outlets are clearly propaganda and opinion disguised as the news. Catherine, did political polarization drive cable news or has cable news driven polarization? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I I, I, I see political polarization as you know, really linked to the, the cable environment. And one of the things that I found in my research is that in the early 1990s, really starting in the 92 election, cable channels, it's not just cable news, but also um, other channels that covered the political events like MTV, is that they found that political coverage geared towards a particular viewer to get them not to change the channel uh, was really good business. It, they could sell more advertisements, but they could get more loyal uh, followers. And so there's actually an MTV executive who talks about creating, he doesn't use the term echo chambers. But what he's talking about is getting people so tuned in to a particular channel to get all of their information and to expect personalized news that fits what they are interested in, and that this is a good business strategy. And so I think that, you know, by 1996, other channels are developing their brand that they call it of the news as a business strategy. I want to talk a little bit about the history of this industry and how we got here, because long before President Trump, President John F. Kennedy really understood the power that TV wielded and how to use it. Listen. In the responsible tradition of the Democratic Party, Texas plays a leading role in that. And I think the people of Texas know that they cannot move forward unless the United States is moving forward. When we vote this November, let's all remember, vote for Kennedy. Make him your selection in the Senate election. He'll do more for Now, that quaint little piece of television from 1960 is decidedly not contemporary cable news. You can hear it. You know it. Also, the fact that Kennedy is saying that Texas is an important part of the Democratic constituency. Yeah, no, that was... <laughs> That was 60 years ago. Uh, But the point is made, Catherine, what was important about Kennedy's experience and his command of television for the first time that helped get us to this moment? 
I love that Kennedy jingle. I play it in my classes all the time. Uh, and, and I think that that's actually an important, you know, Kennedy's presidency comes at the same time to go back to an earlier clip you played of Edward Murrow, his criticism of television for being too commercial and not delivering for democracy. So it's really interesting, but he was talking about broadcast. He was talking about network broadcast television and which overwhelmingly you have the big three networks that dominate the information people are getting. Um, and so there's this criticism that they're too focused on ratings and commercialism, and then they invest in public affairs uh, reporting, uh, and they they expand their newsrooms um, under Kennedy's administration. They they do things like the televised debate debates that Kennedy um, did very well at, and was able to really connect to people via the camera. So Kennedy takes TV seriously. He uses it as a way to win the Democratic nomination uh, away from Lyndon Johnson, who had far more power within the internal Democratic Party, but he appeals to voters. Uh, he uses his personality and connects uh, to them, as uh, one internal memo says, as Jack Kennedy fans. And so he makes TV a priority in winning the election and then ultimately in winning the White House. Let's fast forward to the early 1990s and the start of cable news giants Fox News and CNN. Just a couple of years after Fox News started, the network had one of the biggest political stories of the decade on its hands. In the wake of the unprecedented vote against an elected president, Mr. Clinton vows to continue doing the work of the American people. It's what I've tried to do for six years. It's what I intend to do for two more until the last hour of the last day of my term. Back then in the Clinton presidency, Catherine, um, impeachments were rare, not like today. They were a big deal. It was a huge deal for cable news and a big deal for Fox. How important was the Clinton impeachment to the entrenchment of cable news, especially at Fox, but, but at CNN as well? Well, I think that that, is, that that moment, again, is a culmination of changes in the media environment, in the regulatory environment, and in different tactics that were introduced that proved successful um, on the cable dial. And so 1996 is uh, the Telecommunications Act is passed, which deregulates the media landscape and says, um, really equates the public interest with the consumer interest. And so I think that's a really important regular regulatory component to understand that, um, that you know, the, the, the conflation of the consumer and the, the public interest, because, you know, some of these stories on Scandal, they're selling, they're getting ratings. And so, so you know, really adhere to ratings as one component. But the other component is that politicians on the cable dial use more aggressive tactics to generate attention. Uh, someone like Newt Gingrich uh, comes into cable, uh, sees things like C-SPAN in the 1980s as a way to use um, these the, what he calls like warfare tactics, uh, any, any kind of means to, to generate attention and to take down opponents. And so impeachment really emerges out of this, this emphasis on the politics of ob obstruction, uh, media-generated obstruction as well. Mm -hmm. After the Clinton impeachment, Think about all the huge stories that were on cable news. The Iraq war was televised. 9-11 was televised. Um, you can go on from there. And then Brian Stelter, the election of Barack Obama, of course, was televised naturally. And then right after it, the rise of the Tea Party. At the time, it seemed grassroots. We've learned in retrospect that it really, really wasn't. And the Tea Party, I submit, could not have ever been born in opposition to Barack Obama without Fox News. 
Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, Fox personalities like Glenn Beck uh, and Sean Hannity actively promoted Tea Party events, encouraged people to attend. Uh, it, it was at the, you know, Fox went so far that, that Roger Ailes, who was the head of the network at the time, actually tried to pull it back a little bit. Uh, because for all of his faults and flaws, and there were many, uh, Ailes recognized the importance of having a veneer of news on top of the opinion and propaganda wing of Fox. Uh, but the Tea Party, you know, and the reaction to, to Obama, the, the, the white backlash to the Obama presidency, is what drives Fox, you know, and what drives Fox's viewers into the arms of Donald Trump. Uh, you know, you, you don't have Trump without Obama and the Tea Party. Tim Eastman emails with the subject line, Rush Limbaugh. Please point out that right-wing radio hosts like Rush Limbaugh got the ball rolling before cable news became so dominant. Also, without social media, Trump's lies would not have polluted so much of our political and social discourse. We're going to talk more about that uh, in just a couple of minutes. Um, Pauline emailed to say, also, I'm a former newspaper journalist who doesn't watch much cable news. I believe the 24-7 news cycle has degraded journalism and fueled a mistrust in journalism that we see now. I also live in a divided household and believe that conservative cable media has driven polarization and preyed upon vulnerable people. Um, Catherine, your response to that, we talked a little bit about polarization. And I think that, you know, cable used to see, cable emerged and cable news originally emerged as a way to give voice to new perspectives, uh, to uh, to challenge um, the gatekeeping of network broadcasting by providing, um, again, um, an opportunity for women and African-American and, and conservatives, um, a, a variety of different people to, to have their voices um, elevated and to shape political conversations. Uh, but it becomes, again, more driven to uh, um, some of these market metrics. Um, and, and that diversity is really measured by, again, market metrics and what sells, um, what gets subscriptions and what gets um, ratings. We're heading to a quick break here, but when we come back, we'll continue our conversation and talk more about the impact of journalism on cable TV, on people's political perceptions and their outlook. Stay with us. On the Code Switch podcast, conversations about race and identity don't begin or end with the news cycle. That's because we know race and identity impact every person and influence every story. We're getting into all of it with new voices each week on the Code Switch podcast from NPR. You care about what's happening in the world. Let State of the World from NPR keep you informed. Each day we transport you to a different point on the globe and introduce you to the people living world events. We don't just tell you world news, we take you there. And you can make this journey while you're doing the dishes or driving your car. State of the World podcast from NPR. Vital international stories every day. Numbers that explain the economy. We love them at The Indicator from Planet Money. And on Fridays, we discuss indicators in the news, like job numbers, spending, the cost of food, sometimes all three. So my indicator is about why you might need to bring home more bacon to afford your eggs. I'll be here all week. Wrap up your week and listen to The Indicator podcast from NPR. Let's get back to our conversation about cable news and Catherine I want to talk about the audience. We talk about the contraction, 105 million active subscriptions in the 2010s, uh, right around the Tea Party time when Barack Obama was elected to the White House. Uh, Today, 72 million. That is a sign of bad health. When you read the media reporters and the media critics who write about the cable news industry, Catherine, they use 
metaphors like rearranging the deck chairs. They're using Titanic metaphors to describe this industry, that, that, that it's all a sinking ship. Is that fair? Well, I think it's definitely uh, an inflection point for the business model and and how that business model is going to move forward as streaming and and, and subscription is not subscription television, uh, but now kind of thinking about different apps and different packages, right? That will that people will will buy to get their information. Uh, so I think that. Yeah, it's, you know, one of the things to really, um, to, to kind of go back to what we were talking about at the beginning, though, is that the one audience that is still there are elected officials. And, and this is an audience hmm. that cable news from the beginning wanted to get. They understood that broadcasting's power was because, uh, presidents and senators and representatives took broadcasting seriously, um, as, and made it a political priority. And so from really from the beginning of cable news, it was always about ingratiating, uh, the industry with um, elected officials and, and, and bringing cable into government operations and campaign operations. That was always the priority or one of the priorities for their audiences. And, and that's still there, I think, as evidenced by, um, how the, the campaign is still playing out right now. And, and it's made cultural celebrities out of our politicians. It's really, really changed the dynamics of, of the life of politicians and their priorities. I can, I can definitely tell you that having covered many of them and watched how their careers have transformed after getting famous on cable. It's a big deal if you're a member of Congress, if you give cable what it wants. Well, Brian Stelter, you mentioned just a moment ago um, the tension that you experienced at CNN when the priorities of good journalism, which is there, and good television, which is definitely there, came into conflict. And I think it happened just recently, just this past spring, everybody heard uh, about the ouster of Chris Licht, who was the CEO of CNN, recently left earlier this summer. Um, one of the things that led to his ouster, there were many things, but one of the highest profile things was part of uh, this attempt, live on CNN, a town hall with Donald Trump in May. One person who was at the Capitol that day, as you know, was your vice president, Mike Pence, who says that you endangered his life on that day. I don't do think he feel, was in any danger. Mr. President, do you feel that you owe him an apology? No, because he did something wrong. He should have put the votes back to the state legislatures, and I think we would have had a different outcome. I really do. Now, that sounds familiar. That's Donald Trump on live TV arguing with a network news host, Caitlin Collins there. Um, Brian... Something in particular went wrong here. What went wrong that that got so many CNN journalists upset, so many producers and reporters upset, and helped lead to the ouster of the CEO of the company? Mm. You know, I think the Trump town hall, in, in in my mind, is a reflection of the the the, the Trump problem writ large. For- yeah, in the country, you know. So I'm I'm hesitant to put too much blame onto CNN because, you know. Th- how to uh, reckon with, how to interview, how to cover uh, a disgraced former president who may not even know what is true, may, may be delusional. We don't, you know, it's impossible to get in his head. That's a problem that's bigger than CNN. Mm. Now, that said, it did seem as if this town hall uh, was a pretty short-term ratings and power play. 
Uh, if you read the Atlantic profile of Chris Licht, you get the impression that he he was out there trying to turn around his uh, presidency, his leadership of CNN, with this Trump town hall. Uh, and the, in the reverse actually happened. The opposite actually and happened. And Brian, you point to something really important, um, how to cover Trump and that the questions, the town hall didn't raise them, but they really brought them into stark relief. Cable news thrives on live coverage. We've, we've established that. Um, there's a big debate in journalism and in television journalism right now about whether Donald Trump should ever be broadcast live at all whether a town hall or a press conference after an indictment or a campaign rally. It's known now, it's beyond dispute, that he will simply flood the zone with crap. Can you, as a responsible cable news organization, granted, live TV is where it's at, should you ever cover him live? Or do you tape it, realize it might be newsworthy, go back into the tape, if he makes news, report that news? Yeah, I, I would I would lean toward the latter answer. Uh, I, I think with the with the tools in front of us, it's possible to you know show something for thirty seconds, hit pause, and say, "Well, that was crazy." Let's talk about how we know it's crazy and why he said it. Right? What's interesting about Trump oftentimes is not what he says, but why. Right? What button, what buttons is he trying to push? Is it working? It deserves a different kind of analysis than you know what we expect typically have heard from political commentary. And I think that gets to this broader truth about. The television news industry, you know, in in this in this period, this era, which is, you know, what we need is a, you know, we need more biographers on television. We need more historians. Frankly, we need more television critics to explain how television affects the what what you know how how the program is affecting what you know how you're thinking and, and what you're seeing. You know, I, I you know I guess I'm suggesting we should have psychologists on the air more often <laughs> explaining how all this works. Catherine, how did you view the town hall episode on CNN, the consequences of it, given everything you know about the history and current moment of this industry? And and I'll just add one more thought on to it, the coming debate. We're talking about, look, you you can't talk about cable news right now without talking about Trump. Uh, Brian established that at the top of the show. He's not going to be at the big debate, the big Fox News headline event of the week. He's not going to be there. So, So how do you digest those two things together? I think one of the, the you know the the town hall reflects the the business model of cable news is very much about breaking news and it's about political coverage and extensive uh, long form political coverage. This is something new that cable introduces. It's part of how they sell uh, the, the opportunities on the cable dial to politicians that it can be more expansive. That it's not about sound bites. Uh, that it's not edited down to just you know thirty seconds or one minute. That they can have this lengthy conversation. And so I think one of the biggest challenges, um, you know, as Brian pointed out, is that all the, the the model, the business model, and the political model of cable television um, is, is not well suited uh, to to cover Trump uh, because it allows for all of this, uh, all of these lies and misinformation to, to permeate. Well, the ratings for the debate this week won't be quite as high because Donald Trump won't be there. I'm willing to predict that. But we're going to be talking about what happens on stage in Milwaukee during Wednesday's GOP debate on this show. And if you're a Republican voter, we want to hear from you not about cable news per se, but about that debate and what you learned. What issues are top of mind for you as a Republican voter after watching that debate? And which of the eight candidates that are going to be on stage will have your attention and why? You can leave us a voicemail, 855-236-1A1A. You can watch the debates at all and 
which candidates are you going to watch if Donald Trump isn't there? The number is 855-236-1A1A. You can send us an audio file with our app, 1A Vox Pop, and we'll get to those responses and your questions on Thursday on 1A. Angela in Maryland emails to say, oh, here's somebody who likes cable and watches it. I think this is our first response. I watch cable news daily, particularly MSNBC. The legal analysis in the current context is unparalleled. There's somebody who likes the coverage. MSNBC, by the way, has seen its ratings shoot up with the Trump indictments. Their ratings have gone through the roof covering uh, the, the four indictments that we've seen. And Sharon in Pennsylvania says, I'm so disappointed that no one has mentioned C-SPAN. No one else provides the depth of information and opinion that they do. And, and I concur. We are obsessed with the flashy often trashy cable news here. And that's what we've been talking about. Shout out to C-SPAN, Sharon. Thanks for, thanks for putting that in because I, I wouldn't want to forget them either. Well, um, I, I want to ask you both before we go, disinformation is, is becoming more and more ubiquitous in our political culture. Brian, you've, you've established that very solidly. Polarization is as bad as it's been in generations. You've established that, Catherine. Donald Trump is running for president with what I'll call an authoritarian platform. There's no doubt about it. He's facing 91 criminal charges. Um, Brian, is our democracy in good hands with cable news heading into 2024? It all depends on what we mean by cable news. Uh, you know, I think at the at the end of the day, let's take let's take Fox because that is where the tension exists within the Republican Party and whether the Republican Party is going to defend democracy. Uh, at the end of the day, in 2020, despite all the pressure, Fox did tell the truth about the election. Uh, there were also lots of smears and lies uh, about Dominion and others. But, you know, when, the, when, when Donald Trump demanded that Fox uh, retract its, its call, its election call, Fox said no. Right. And, and yeah. the Murdoch's major, the network told the truth. Now, then later there was this. Then they fired the guy who made the call, by the way. Yes. <laughs> well, they, they a couple of them. But but the head of the decision desk, Arna Mishkin, will be in the chair again yeah. next year in 2024. And so there is this, you know, there's this again, I believe it's really about this tension inside a party, inside a political movement uh, about what direction it's going to go and about whether truth, the, the truth that the rest of the country knows is going to be recognized. Well, let me, let me make sure we can get Republican Party members. Yeah, let me make sure we can get Catherine on this question as well. Catherine, you have the last word. I'll point out, as as Brian implies, seventy percent of Republicans still believe the twenty twenty election was stolen. That's in an August third poll. Seventy percent of Republicans, many of whom I'll stipulate are watching Fox News, believe a complete lie. And I think that speaks to the biggest challenge and necessity that we have for the election coming forward, and that is to expand media literacy. I, I know Brian pointed this out, but to I think that is our challenge. We have a wealth of information, some of it great, some of it terrible. Um, and, and so the information is out there. And I think what we need to do is arm uh, um, citizens uh, with the tools to understand it, think critically about it. And that is media literacy. Catherine Brunell is the author of the new book, 24-7 Politics, Cable Television and the Fragmenting of America from Watergate to Fox News. She's also Associate Professor of History at Purdue University. And Brian Stelter, he's a special correspondent for Vanity Fair and host of the podcast Inside the Hive. His new book on Dominion voting and Fox News comes out in November, and I hope we can definitely have him back when that book is out. Brian and Catherine, thank you both so much for being here. Today's producer was Chris Remington. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington. It's distributed not on cable, 
by NPR. I'm Todd Zwillick with Vice News. In for Jen White. This is 1A. care about what's happening in the world. Let State of the World from NPR keep you informed. Each day we transport you to a different point on the globe and introduce you to the people living world events. We don't just tell you world news, we take you there. And you can make this journey while you're doing the dishes or driving your car. State of the World podcast from NPR. Vital international stories every day. What does it sound like to record an album inside a jail? On the documentary podcast, Track Change, you'll hear four men make music inside Richmond City Jail and hear how they're trying to break free from a cycle of addiction and incarceration. Been so long since I've been free. Listen to Track Change from Narratively and VPM, part of the NPR Network. On the Code Switch podcast, conversations about race don't start and stop with the news cycle. We know that race is always relevant, and we have new topics, new voices, and new stories for you every single week. Listen to the Code Switch podcast from NPR.